The child welfare system exists to keep children safe. What happens when better safe than sorry becomes more sorry than safe? Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is part two of the More Sorry Than Safe episodes with Melissa Bright. If you haven't listened to part one, please go back and catch up on that episode before proceeding. We also want to forewarn you that there will be segments of this episode that may be triggering and hard to hear, but we feel like it's important for all of us to know exactly what these situations sound like, and if it is hard for you to hear, imagine what it was like for Melissa to live. We hope it gives all of us a renewed drive for truth hunting, and also an understanding of the importance of the decisions that we make in child welfare, whether that be potentially leaving a child in a dangerous situation or potentially tearing a family apart based on false information or assumptions. There are so many people in this story that were just doing their job and as a result became a part of an injustice. The following is going to be hard to hear. These were the moments leading up to Melissa's children being taken out of her home and placed with strangers. Join us as we continue with Melissa. A few days, maybe four or five days after we were discharged from the hospital, um, Mason had a follow-up with one of his doctors. And while he was at that follow-up, he began weeping from his incision, spinal fluid. So they took us back to the emergency room. He went back in. He had a buildup of fluid again in his subdural space. So they thankfully at this time able to do a bedside procedure where they literally unstitched him, let him weep 
spinal fluid out and stitch him up again and put him on some heavy antibiotics. A few days later, they were able to send us home. I think we were in the hospital maybe four days that time, not, not super long. Anyway, we went back home. During this whole event, we had asked CPS to give us a family team meeting. Um, we wanted to all come together and see what was most beneficial for our kids. At the time, my mother and father-in-law were caring for my niece, who was nine or 10. And so, you know, she had her school needs and her after-school needs and all this stuff. And it's hard to add a toddler and an infant to, to that schedule. My aunt and uncle who lived about 15 minutes from us on the other side of town, he's a missionary. She's a speech pathologist. They had one kid left in high school. He was pretty much self-sufficient. So they were like, hey, we'll take your kids in during this time. And it would allow me to sleep in my own bed at night. It would allow my husband to see my kids and be involved with their lives daily in the evenings. And so we had a team meeting over at their home and everybody was on board. CPS was on board. We had the supervisor and our caseworker and a mediator present and my aunt and uncle and my in-laws and me and Dylan. It was, it was a three hour long family team meeting. It felt very productive. It felt very good overall. You know, that's when we handed over Mason's medical diagnoses to the CPS. And he's like, oh, we have all the information we need. Well, we were leaving their home that evening and Mason began to weep from his incision again. This is maybe a week from the last time we were in the hospital. This is where that benign external hydrocephalus comes in. He was making more spinal fluid than his ventricles were pulling from away from his head. I don't know if it's like under-functioning or underdeveloped ventricles. They're not enlarged, which is a child with hydrocephalus. They're a normal size, but they're not functioning at a normal rate or a normal capacity. That's just why it's called benign. By the time a child's like 18 months or two years when their plates fuse together and they have no more fontanelle in their their head is formed and solid, either it becomes hydrocephalus because now there's all that pressure on the brain or the ventricles have developed appropriately and they go on living a normal, happy, healthy life. Well, Mason was still in that phase where his ventricles were under functioning. And so as his body was creating this fluid, it had nowhere to go. So that's when he was diagnosed with the benign external hydrocephalus because he was making more fluid than his body could divert. And so that subdural space could never fully close. So he had a couple of co-occurring conditions. Yes. When we went in for the third time, they did a CT and he had actually had more fluid than previous time we had gone to the ER. So they had to put in another drain. At this point, when he drained, it was clear spinal fluid. There was no um, associated blood with it. They had him on an EVD for probably like three or four days. And they said, hey, based on the amount that the drain is still pulling from around his brain, we have to go ahead and put in a shunt. So they ended up doing a surgery for a subdural shunt. He utilized that shunt until about three years old. He would go in every six months or so for a CT. They call it a shunt scan. They do an x-ray of his abdomen and make sure all the things are working appropriately. And he used it until he was about three years old. And it was about three when his subdural space finally closed up fully and his body was functioning as it should. He for sure needed it. You know, we're thankful. We were trying to avoid the surgery, but he was a 180 degree different kid after his shunt surgery than before. And while we were at the hospital for his second drain and his shunt surgery, CPS was supposed to get the appropriate paperwork 
So that way we could be discharged and wind up at my aunt's house, my aunt and uncle's house. While we were in the hospital, we could move Charlotte over there. You know, everybody was already approved. My aunt and uncle were already approved. My nephew, who was 17, was already approved through CPS. While they were there doing the family team meeting, they walked through the home to make sure it was an appropriate home. You know, we get a call the morning of discharge and my caseworker tells me he essentially said that the attorney did not think that they had enough information to bring suit against us for termination of rights. Like, I'm like, okay, so like, what? Is this a game? Were you trying to see if you had enough markers to terminate my parental rights? Or are you trying to make sure that my, my, my kid's best advocated for it? I'm sorry, I'm, I misunderstood what your job was. Now that you don't have enough information to legally bring suit against my husband and I, they couldn't determine or not determine if Mason was or was not abused by either me or my husband. So he told me that they were going to transition us to family-based services. And again, I was so naive and all I knew was that meant, hey, we're not losing our kids. And so I was thankful. He told me on the phone, you can go ahead and proceed to my aunt and uncle's house. Well, apparently sometime between that morning when he called me and that afternoon when we were discharged from the hospital, he didn't have the appropriate paperwork signed off by his supervisor indicating that we could move. So here we are and we had our whole family get involved in this. They had moved all of my stuff over to the aunt's house and we we're being discharged from the hospital from a kid who just had a major brain, second, two major brain surgeries in a week. And they said, you're going to have to go back to Baytown for the night. I didn't have a change of clothes. Um, my kid slept on a pallet on the floor. Mason thankfully had a pack and play, so he was fine in that. A pack and play after brain surgery? What? They told us we don't have the proper approval, this, that, and the other, da 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 da. And we have half of our stuff in a truck, half of our stuff at my aunt and uncle's house, and we're going the opposite direction back to my in laws. So we get there, and I mean, I was livid. I, I, would, I was very professional and kind, but I was essentially like, why, why would you do this to him? Because of signature, I don't I don't understand. You know, my kid just had a major surgery. We need to get resolved somewhere. We need to get settled in. This is not in his best interest. Because we thought we were transitioning over there, all of his doctor's appointments are now over in the woodlands, which is an hour from my in-laws. Anyway, they tried to make it seem like my aunt wasn't sufficient to care for him. They were unsure, blah, blah, blah. My aunt works in a hospital. She is a speech pathologist, and she has worked in a hospital for, what, like 30 years at this point? Like, she is the most qualified <laughs> Anyway, we abide and comply with CPS and uh, we go out to Baytown. I am in the same clothes for three days, three days waiting for them to say, yes, you can move back over there. Finally, they didn't say anything. And so my husband calls them and says, you are not advocating in the best interest of our child. You are making our family live half in and half out of an environment that is not conducive to his recovery. We are going to my aunt and uncle's house. And he just says that we don't have the paperwork in hand. Again, we were in a voluntary placement. And so we were voluntarily using our right to say, no, this is not in the best interest of our child. We have made concession upon concession upon concession for this agency. But now it is coming at a deficit to our kid. No, we are going to my aunt and uncle's. So we did. And we don't hear from CPS for 30 days. Not a word. Not a text, not an email, not a call, not a nothing. Am I recalling this correctly, that when your husband sent that message to your caseworker his response was just okay like didn't he say okay back it essentially went something along the lines of i texted him and said hey we are going to my aunt and uncle's tonight is that okay and he said that should be fine 
And I was like, okay, we had just gotten off the phone. But again, at this point, I'm no longer naive, Melissa. I am very attentive and aware, Melissa. And I wanted to get it also in writing and not just on the phone. And so I texted him the same question I had just asked him while I was on the phone and got confirmation of. And he said, that should be fine. Here's the problem with that. If it wasn't fine, he was setting you up. And for him to say, okay, or that should be fine is so freaking inappropriate. Yeah. And you know, it would have been fine to say, hey, let me verify with my supervisor. I will get back to you. Those are perfectly fine responses. And he didn't have to say yes. He chose to say that. And we then worked based on that answer. So at this point, you went to your aunt and uncle's. You didn't go home. Um, So we went to my aunt and uncle's that night. And then the next day, we just went home. We were like, you know what? They'll contact us. And this was the 24th, I believe, of August in 2018 we had nothing okay so after that our kids are in mother's day out they start school for the year my daughter starts toddler soccer if you can call it that chase the ball we start doing you know life things or we're we're back with our friends i even have a picture of this time we went to a one-year-old's birthday we have life It, it just goes back to normal other than we know CPS is there lingering, but they already told us there was no proof to bring it to legals, what they call their department. And so we're like, okay, well, they just stopped talking to us, even though we've been fully compliant thus far. We just used our voluntary right to say, hey, you're not in the best interest of our kids. So we're saying no to this plan, not no to CPS, no to this plan. They just don't talk to us until September 18th. I don't know how many days that is. I cannot do fast math. I'm an engineer, can't do fast math. Like 25. 26 days, 25. Yeah. Yeah. That many days from contact. He hadn't seen Mason or Charlotte since our family team meeting, which was like the 14th of August. So he hadn't seen our kids in 30 days. It's their policy that while you are in the investigation portion, I think it's like you have to speak to them weekly and physically see the children monthly or something along those lines. It seems very like rules for thee and not for me. Yes. So we go on about life. We don't hear a word. They didn't attempt to call nothing. On September 18th, I get a text message from him and it says, hey, how's Mason? And I had taken a picture of Mason that morning. He is the cutest thing ever. And I am not biased. He is super chunky and he is smiling head to toe. I send him the picture. I said, we're great. Um, He has this follow-up and that follow-up coming up. We saw this doctor. You know, I just lay it all out. My text message was a small novel to this man. He said, okay, well, I'd like to come for a visit. At this point, my husband and I had received a second medical opinion from a pediatric radiologist on Mason's case. So we had a completely second diagnosis that was not abuse from another world-renowned pediatric radiologist stating, hey, it wasn't abuse. So we thought, hey, he's closing out this case. Legal doesn't have any, you know, whatever. They haven't needed to talk to us in a month and our case is just going to be closed. Then we have this second report stating that Mason's injuries weren't from abuse and another medical diagnosis that we hadn't already given to them. I mean, we were, knew we were in the clear. I'm talking about the next day I got up. It was the 19th of September. I gotten up, I had signed up to be Charlotte's room mom in her Mother's Day Out class. Real fancy mom duties there. I had come home that day. We had some good friends that just had a baby. I signed up on their meal train. So I was making this giant pot of spaghetti. LeVar said he was going to come over at five. I mean, we were like living the high life. We're like, we're out of here. It's done. We get to go back to life. 
completely ignorant to what was about to happen. He doesn't show up at five. He doesn't show up at six. He doesn't call. He doesn't text. Nothing. Finally, I said, hey, it's seven. We're going to start bedtime. My kids are tired. (laughs) They're bedtime. It's actually after Mason's bedtime at this point. He says, okay, I will be there very shortly. So at 730, my husband gets a phone call and he asks my husband to step outside and Dylan knew it was bad. At first, he thought maybe he needed to like flag him down like, hey, this is our house. But he'd already been to our house. So like he he didn't need all that. He went outside and I watched from the window and from my husband's van. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but it is not good. Um, They were outside for about 10 minutes. None of that recorded. But the moment my husband walked inside with our caseworker, we started immediately recording. Um, My husband is very protect yourself, da, 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 da. So he has already been recording um, our stuff at this point from our family team meeting on everything we did was recorded. So LeVar, our caseworker came in with my husband. We knew it was bad. So he immediately started recording. He handed my husband, actually, he didn't even hand us paperwork. He told us what the paperwork was. He left that night without giving us any, any paperwork. We had nothing. We literally handed our children to this man and weren't even given a sheet of paper. Nothing. Anyway, so all that we had was our recording. We literally had to listen back to our recording to even know what it was that he was supposed to hand us a petition for protection of a child for conservatorship and for termination in suit affecting the parent-child relationship. It is for the state to take custody of our kids that we would have no, no more custody of them. He essentially said, we're taking your kids to foster care. And I said, what? Why? And I got real rough. I don't remember everything I said. I could not listen to my own recording after I recorded it. I was not in a good headspace for it. But I do believe that I started to like scream at this man. I was not belligerent, not in any way. I didn't even say cuss words. I was not degrading. I was just a mom, like literally claws coming out. I was like, you are stripping him from me. I'm breastfeeding him. Like, what, what are you, why are you doing this? Okay. It is 7.30 and September 19th, and our meeting with LeVar, we've just been told that now they had an emergency hearing and they have temporary receivership or whatever. So We have temporary managing conservatorship. Uh, that, that means we have temporary custody. Talk to us. You don't want to comply. I've no, got- no, no, we didn't. No, no, no. no. I want this we, on the record. We didn't not want to comply. We tried everything on our end to comply, mm-hmm. but CPS wasn't compliable. Do you understand we, what you we, put we, us through? Like, well, no, but do you understand no. what you put us through after our son had a so, major surgery? Wait, wait, wait. You were so, no longer considering his best interest, mm-hmm. and that is why we chose no longer to comply. Okay. And we needed to do everything possible since we couldn't change the plan to bring him home to at least bring us close enough to Dolores's house mm-hmm. so she could stay close enough with the baby because she's breastfeeding mom to console him through the night so we could try and as best we could to match the doctor's instructions about the environment he needed to be healthy in. Okay. So three weeks after that meeting, we ended up having to go back because of his environment and now we had to have major surgery. And up to the, the morning of our release, we were, were operating on the instructions that everything was okay. And you contacted us we, we, we had family already in the room ready to wheel us outside when you said, oh, no, we can't do that. You have to go back to Baytown. Mm-hmm. We, I got confirmation like, that morning via text from you, and then and I so, called, and you confirmed. So now, and you were behind. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Here. 
I'm going to show you where you confirmed that. Okay, show me where. But look, look through your text and you'll see. But my point with that is because you even said twice, okay, that'll be fine. And then we tried it, okay, that'll and be then fine. I told you. But my problem with so now we have a situation, despite all of the family going out of the way and doing everything they can so we can comply. That afternoon. They plan on discharging us at some point today. Mason is doing wonderfully. Missy plans to meet us at the hospital, discharge us, and bring us bring the children to Dolores' house. Are you okay with that? Okay, that should be fine. That should be. Should. How, how that that should, should so, so, okay, so, 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 well, I, I, I never gave you a definite, a sure, sure thing, uh, Melissa. I, okay, I gave you, I gave you hopes. How, I gave how, you hopes. I'm Absolutely. sorry, hold on, just time out. If because I said, okay, I'm in that favoring should be fine. For, I, I was in favor for the, the kiddos going. But again, I have to get that approved. Um, I call my aunt, the one who they had give, they were supposed to give our, my children to. She showed up that night and she begged our caseworker to let her take them. Um, we had a friend of hers who works for a program called Loving Houston Foster and Adoption. She is a caseworker for them. She works on the adoption side, but regardless, she had called that night and we were on the phone with our caseworker and this woman. And she is telling him that she has a placement for both of those kids to stay together tonight. All that she needed was for his approval. So we had a Christian family that would keep both of my kids together that night if they would not allow my children to go back with my aunt or my in-laws they refused all of it they said absolutely no we have custody of your children and they took them they left my house at like nine o'clock that night i, I just wouldn't want to believe any mom right. would have done you know anything to harm her child i, I mean my problem I is, is your investigation. And I, and I'm not saying that you did. Okay. I'm not saying that we you have did. decisions being made that are serious decisions, but you're doing so on like 50 percent. You say I have all I need. I'm telling you that a proper investigation would have had all the reports. It bothers me but, that but, you don't but, have. But, but, the, but Dylan, it's still right. So this doctor, the, the Julie Mack, mm -hmm. right? So we right, right. I, I and I thank you for this. But we have information from doctors. Uh, you have part you have, of you have the, the initial abuse. right. You have the initial review from the doctors. Okay, okay, right. But but we also have information from talking to the social worker from the hospital. Well, when did the That's, social worker meet with us? The initial time. We even went to the records and got the DVD. Hey with all of the records and I mm -hmm. printed those and gave those to you because I was afraid Texas Children's hadn't shown. It also has, did she give you the x-rays from all of the doctors from the x-rays that say that Charlotte is clear, there's no signs of damage. Okay, do you have the x-rays? I would like you to read this. So. Texas Children's My Chart. You can get whatever formal things you need. So uh, Michael Losos, MD, reviewed our Von Willebrand's panel. He says right here, these data suggest Von Willebrand's disease type one. Okay, so so guys, um, again, there will be a show cause October third at nine thirty. Um, I mean, at this point, um, if you have not already got your why attorney, is it, why, why is it October third? I, I was under the understanding that if there was an emergency where you step in and say, we have to go take the children right now, mm -hmm. that, that we have right to immediately see the judge the next business day. Okay. 
consult your attorney. Consult with your attorney. And he will... Where are our children going? Um, we have to find a placement for them. But Can so, Dolores come and get them? No, sir. Can my mom come and get them? Why? They, they've all been approved. Why can't you? Why can't well, you go put well, them? Here's the thing, Dylan. Because there was all, already a violation of the parental child safety plan. No, there was not on your end. You were no longer considering our child's best interest. It's, you broke the safety plan. I had no choice. I had no choice. What kind of mother would I be if I allowed you to put my son in further harm's way? What kind of mother would that make me? That is on you. Okay, calm, calm down. No, it's my children. I can't calm down. But I'm, I'm not. We, we, we're not going to do that. 9.30, 10 o'clock. Finally, the police had to arrive. I guess that's part of the process. He was very, very kind. Does your aunt or uncle have any type of criminal history? that would have come up on a background screen? No, none at all. Weren't they previously approved? They were previously approved. They were supposed to be at their house. This is the house we met at for our family team meeting. They saw their home. We have been fully in compliance with CPS. We hadn't done anything to change that. We hadn't even heard from them in however long you said that was, 25, 26 days. Nothing. We had, we had nothing. The only thing that they could do was take my children and place them into foster care. Like, like I said, guys, um, court is October 3rd at 930, 1200. And so we can't see our children until then? So my yes, breastfed son? We, you were taking him we, from my breast. Melissa. You are responsible for taking my child away from my breast. Melissa. Sorry. I, a law enforcement is at the door. Can you let me in? Not at this point. Not at, not at this point. Do you like understand I said, that's causing harm to our children? Contact us. Do y'all have uh, clothing and whatnot also? We need to do that three different times. And of which if you had answers... Well, what can I do to help y'all? I don't know. I'm not trying to address anything and see what I can do. But instead... Well, sometimes the process is not as fast as we would like it to be. Why weren't we invited? Why weren't we notified that there was an emergency court hearing? Why about the emergency? Well, for for one, the this 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 chronicness, um, I, I figured it would be and you know, combative. I, I knew it was gonna be Tonight, tonight. 
See, the show called the next hearing is not to October 3rd. That's when the next hearing is. So the judge may at that point, because we do um, at times. So, so not till the 3rd. Right, that's when we go back to court. For a show they won't know where they are until the 3rd? Well, they will have hesitations. But so they, why is it they can't come to my house tonight? Well, because it was ordered um, for them to go to uh, go into foster care. When was the emergency hearing? Today. Why were they not invited to the emergency hearing and their lawyer? Well, because number one, uh, the disgruntledness, and you know, it, it's nothing in policy or law that says we have to notify them. The bar. So, yeah. The yeah. bar. Yeah. He, they should have been but at the emergency hearing. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, that wouldn't have changed. But what combativeness? Uh, some of what they have displayed, you know. And so as far as my safety, I mean, I do have to take a precautions as well. Seeing you guys like on numerous occasions. in danger? I'm, anything is possible, Dolores. I mean, we, we can't rule anything out. I don't understand why they weren't invited to that today. I just because the, to. the judge could have. Yeah, but that's mm -hmm. within a court system. No one's in danger within a court system. I mean, the judge could have heard their sign and dropped it today. That nothing perhaps would have changed. We have our information from our abuse team, from the Texas Children Abuse I Team. Know. You know, uh, like I'm not sure how much it, it would have changed. I want to say more. I know you want to say more. You understand it makes no sense. But if anybody thought these children were coming in danger, you knew for three weeks they were here. Not one person even called to check on them. No one's even called to say, how's he doing? For three weeks. And now y'all just show up to take them. That's wrong. You know, they don't even have record of the vulnerable to Brenda's disease. He has the records he needs. Does Still? Yeah, well, they didn't investigate anything. Why do you think Texas Children's Children giving you all the paperwork, Lavar? Guys, I'm I'm done with I'm sorry I'm 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 done with the discussion I'm I'm done with with the with the bashing and I'm. I'm we have so, never bashed you. Lamar. We haven't. There hasn't been on that recording a single personal slight towards you. We're just questioning why is it that you don't have all the information. Uh, if you have anything that you want to write down, instructions. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, no motion. Um, if y'all want to write that down, so they can. So we pack them up, we say our good night prayers, and we put them in the car. Um, it was excruciating. I can't even imagine what that was like. I wish I couldn't imagine. Uh, so Mason at this point, he, you know, he has no idea what's going on. He's seven months, seven and a half months old. So he goes in the car fine. He's whiny because it's 930. It's like two and a half hours after his bedtime. He doesn't know what's going on. He has had formula maybe once or twice in his whole life. And thankfully, I still had those similar trial things. I don't even know how he's going to react to it, but I'm putting it in the suitcase because he has to eat something, right? Don't know where they're going nothing. We put him in the car. And then my husband has to do probably the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. He has to put Charlotte into the caseworker's car. And the caseworker at this point 
is standing outside of the car talking to the police officer. I don't know about what. I'm just like, I'm sitting in the driveway next to my aunt and it just feels like, I, 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 I don't know. You, you think you'd just be like yelling and screaming. I just, in complete shock and disbelief that this is even happening in front of my eyes. And so my husband has to put Charlotte into her car seat and she does not want to go into her car seat. This is somebody she doesn't know somewhere. She knows it's off, right? She's not dumb. Even two-year-olds, pretty, pretty smart. And he has to forcibly hold her down to get her into the car seat. You know, closes the door after she's all buckled in. And the police officer and the caseworker are just sitting there chatting about Lord knows what. And my kid, you can hear her screaming through the car. And at this point, after like, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds of her screaming. I'm looking at the case where her like, just go. Like, don't make her sit there and scream. Like, this is, this is like, what are you doing? Pay attention. Do you not hear that? And my husband and I, with the police officer and my aunt, sit there and we can hear her crying. Um, we have maybe two or three houses down, a stop sign. And then he had to take a ride at the stop sign. He took a right and we could still hear her screaming. Like, it was bad. It was bad. Like none of it felt right. None of it felt like it was in her best interest. It was so bizarre that the police officer that was there that night came back into our home with us. And he was with us for like an hour, hour and a half. And he was like, I have never seen this before. I don't know what's going on. He was helping us look up attorneys because we knew we had to call somebody. He came back about, i say a week later or so. I guess he was on his shift or his rounds or whatever. And he came back by our house and he wanted an update on what's going on. He told us, he said that night, after I had left your house, he's like, I went to my supervisor and I asked when I as a cop could intervene over CPS. I have never been in a situation where I felt like CPS was in the wrong. And he said the only time as a police officer that he could intervene over CPS is if he thought that child needed to go to the hospital and CPS was saying no. I don't know if he's ever been part of removal before. I didn't I didn't ask. I wasn't invasive. It's insane, especially reliving it. In the moment, you, you don't know what is or isn't. It's like, that's the only experience I've ever had. But reliving it, you're like, okay, obviously, we're not the only ones who thought this was insane. No, this is insane. Woo! If you aren't broken over this already, just wait for next week's episode where we share more of Melissa's story. Thank you for hanging in there with us on this one. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.